morning. The office can be dismissed. Uh, would you turn in Acts or two, Acts chapter 16? That's where we'll spend our time this morning as we continue in our series. And when you find it, when we stand for the uh, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, we'll read that first little section, verses one to ten, to, to kick us off. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. And they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia and concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God, we ask that you would help me to preach the gospel to those who gather here this morning, that your people would hear your voice as you lead us and guide us in different ways, in different circumstances, that all of us have different decisions before us. God, that you would, you would help us to see how you lead your church this morning. God, that we would give you honor and praise because all that you do and lead us in is, is for your worship. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So how does God lead his church? It's a question that I was asking four years ago. Cornerstone was getting ready to search for a new pastor. Some of you were here. Four years ago this weekend, we had attended our first service at East Randolph, and we came and joined many of you here for worship that morning. And I needed some direction. I could see us living here. I could see us serving in this church. But God, where are you leading? How are you leading our family? These were questions that I was asking. Driving north on 14, I know exactly where I was, just north of the house that we live in today. And these words came to mind. Come and help us. 
I knew exactly where in the Bible it was written. Kristen had fallen asleep in our short drive to where we were going. And when we arrived, I, I looked up the passage and I said, hey, this is what happened. Read this with me. We then left there a couple hours later and went over to someone's house in the church and we had a time of fellowship and Q&A with many of you who were in this room this morning and uh, it was there at this meeting that we heard over and over again. We'd love for you to consider helping us at Cornerstone. We'd love if you would join us and help us. And after the meeting, we felt God leading us providentially here. Providentially, this is the passage that we ended up being here four years to the weekend when we first visited. And I didn't realize it until Wednesday. Eric and I were meeting with somebody and we were talking about it. And I was like, oh, wait, that anniversary is coming up pretty soon. And oh, wait, this is the passage that we just so happen to be. And I've changed our Acts series schedule like six times. But I guess God wanted to have a good reminder for all of us this morning. And I think it's easy as we walk through the book of Acts, especially in Acts 16, we're going to see a lot of different types of stories. Last week we saw a lot of different types of stories. And we could spend a sermon on each of these little stories, but we would finish the book of Acts in 2027. But what I want to focus on this morning is maybe an overarching theme that we see through this chapter, chapter 16 in the book of Acts, of how God leads his church. Because I assume that many of us in this room, we ask these types of questions. God, what do you want of me? God, where are you leading me? God, help me. Please lead me. Because I don't know what to do. I think first we see in that per first paragraph that we read that, that God leads his church through its leaders. Look at this map. I made a slide. Hopefully it works. There we go. You can bring binoculars if you can't see it. But we see this map that Paul, in his second missionary journey, he starts to go back to two of the towns that he had already been to. He's starting to move north, that red line towards the top of the screen. And he revisits Lystra and Derby. He had just separated last week from Barnabas. And he desires, as he goes to this town, this young man named Timothy. He wants Timothy to join them, to accompany him. But Luke records, as he's writing Acts, that Timothy's father was a Greek. Hence, he wasn't circumcised. His mother was Jewish, but his father wasn't, so he wasn't circumcised. And the church, as we recall from last week in Acts 15, that they just decided the circumcision wasn't necessary for salvation. So why on earth would a grown man give in to this? Paul was leading this young man, Timothy. He was trying to reach this young church. He was removing all stumbling blocks to the mission that God had given them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So this summer, Wesley is going on a mission trip. He's going to go to the Philippines. And so we've been talking about how you prepare for this. We talked about how not only Jesus, but Paul says to people that are being sent out to eat whatever is before you. 
and put before you at a table. And so we got to have a good laugh and we looked up some strange foods that they eat in the Philippines, none of which that I want to try. Uh, but eating food that is set before you is an act of respect. If you read things that are handed to you, of somebody being generous and kind to you to provide a meal for you, it's pretty disrespectful to say, I just don't want to eat it. And so Paul, he's returning to these synagogues. And Paul doesn't want anything to get in the way of the gospel that he wants to proclaim that changes the hearts of those who would hear it. And so Paul, in his leadership, he says, Timothy, I need you to do something. And Timothy follows the leadership. And the church grows as a result of Paul's admonition and Paul's leadership. Paul's a leader. He's got a follower. It's kind of a definition of a leader, right? If you don't have anybody following you, you're not really leading. And God first leads through leaders, as we saw in that first paragraph. And then we see the story that really was used by God to call our family to move to Vermont. Then we have the Macedonian call, where God leads the church through this strategic planning of God is set aside. We see that the Spirit prevented them from continuing, that the Spirit says, no, I want you to go to Macedonia. This visible image, this audible voice is used to direct Paul to go to Macedonia. And I think we would all really enjoy that, right? If we have a question before us, a decision that's before us, if you just had a leader that said, hey, this is what we're gonna do. Or maybe you would love to see a vision of like, yes, of course I will go if this is gonna be the case. God leads his church through leaders. God leads his church by the Spirit. And he also leads the church, as we'll see in the next paragraph, with the church. It's more good stuff. On to Philippi. Let's look at verse 11 real quick. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following the way day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate of the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. These missionaries, they're making their way towards Greece. If you want to put the slide back up, Kenzie, you'll see that the trajectory keeps going up. The gospel is now moving towards Europe, out of the area that we would call today of Turkey. And to have a synagogue in a town outside of Israel, the location required 10 men. 
They didn't have a synagogue, so there were very few Jewish people in this area. So they're no longer in Kansas. You can put that slide away, Kens. In a foreign land with no synagogue, there's no one familiar with the things of God. They go to the next best thing. They find these ladies out worshiping by the river. They're praying. The location doesn't necessarily matter where they are worshiping, but God, again, moves the church to lead things forward. Paul shares the gospel with these ladies. This, this woman, Lydia, she is a leader. She is wealthy. She believes the gospel. And God's sovereignty over salvation, again, is on full display. We see in verse 14 that he opens her heart to believe. God's hand is all over this book of Acts in giving people the gift of belief because it's he who ultimately leads his church. And as a result of her belief, she's baptized, she joins the church, and her whole family follows suit as they believe, and they are baptized as well. And it's significant here that they don't find a Jewish synagogue with a bunch of men leading, that Paul goes outside of the city. He finds a woman to do this. And this is not about feminism, but it is a Gentile woman of means who is brought in to start leading in the church. And God shows his hand of providence again in mysterious ways. Maybe like some of you still wonder, why would a guy and a family from California move here? We love it here. We love you. We want to be here. No reason. Lydia invites them over to her house. Luke says that she failed upon them. Some translations you may have says that she urged them. But urge is a word that is used in the previous section, but not here. This word prevail is more of like a military type term. It's a term that has some force behind it. In some sense, with a bit of violence. She wasn't violent towards Paul, but you can see the force behind this word. She didn't beat him up, but she was adamant. Come to my house where we see that the leaders of the church lead. We see that the spirit of the church leads, but we also see the people within the church lead as well. This first convert in Europe, the head of her household, an unlikely person takes the lead to the apostle to Gentiles and prevails over him to redirect him to come to her home. The church leads us as well. And Paul submits to her. The individual has a voice of authority. It's like this week, our towns will vote, maybe on a school budget and for some other things within our towns, where congregational and church local government have delegated authority from the bottom up, and the individual of the community is supposed to lead in the town, but also in the church. And church leadership, or church and local government leadership, they Sorry, let me rephrase that. The Spirit leads the church together. We're leaders, we influence the congregation. But also the congregation influences the leaders. Just like the selectmen of the towns in which you live in and the school boards. Residents 
have influence over the town, where you have bottom-up leadership is the doctrine that started out of the Reformation of the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, where delegated authority from the individual is given to people with authority to go and execute our requests and our <coughs> desires. Whereas we approve a budget as a church, just like your towns will probably approve a budget in the next 48 hours. And so, friends, participate here, but also go participate in your towns this week. Leaders, the Spirit and the church lead. That's it. Let's pray. We're done. We would love to work that easily, right? If you were like, Aaron, just lead us to where to go. Great, let's do that. Or, hey, the Spirit has led us to go do this. We would really appreciate that as well. Or as a church, we all agree, let's go do something. But oftentimes, it's not that simple. And God also leads the church through circumstances led by people who are against us. Through our enemies. Look at verse 16. We see that Luke is actually caught up in the biography. It's now an autobiography. It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. A possessed girl used by slaveholders for their own income was following Paul and his entourage for days. The same thing happened in Jesus' day where evil spirits knew who Jesus was and they did not like that he was going to bring in the kingdom and so they would beg of Jesus, please do not cast us away. This possessed demon girl that says that she acknowledges the truth about what the mission of these men is. And she kept proclaiming it, right? We would want that to be the case. But Paul's annoyed. Paul's not wanting this girl to be on her team or his team like Lydia was on his team and so he casts the demon out of her. But her greedy owners incite revenge, disrupting the city because they've lost their gold mine of income. A magistrate seeks to maintain order and Paul and Silas are put in jail, all on the way to jail. They're beaten, they're punched, and finally when they're in jail, their feet are put into torture devices that were used for crucifixion. 
I think we're all like, can we get back to the church and leaders and the spirit leading the church? I don't really like this enemies piece. But look what God does. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them to the same hour, the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them out into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the, his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and they do not throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. And so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Leaders, the spirit, the church, even enemies are used by God to lead the church. God is in charge. In prison, they don't cry out for mercy. They worship. They worship because they have already received mercy from God. They know God is providentially in charge, and God wisely leads through this whole situation with his sovereignty. Maybe they were singing a song like we will sing shortly. Let good and kindreds go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Or maybe they sing a song similar to one we've already seen. That promised land is calling. We're almost home. And not a tear shall fall, then we're almost home. Make ready now your souls for the kingdom come. No turning back, we're almost home. You see these two looking at each other. We're almost home, brother. This might be the time. They bear witness to the fellow prisoners around them, to the guards overlooking them of who Jesus is and what he's done even the enemies that put them into prison. 
Friends, we all make disciples. We all bear witness as this book of Acts is calling us as his, God's disciples to do so. It just depends on whose disciples we are making. Oftentimes, the disciples that we make are to ourselves, right? Or to a leader. When we're called to make disciples of Jesus, so at town meeting, or the DMV, or you're driving along the interstate, or you're stuck behind someone slow in the grocery store, or those guys that ride up your driveway with the little name tags, bear witness to who Jesus is and what he has done and make disciples of Jesus. And our response in all these circumstances could be like Paul and Silas in worship, or could be making disciples of somebody else. Paul and Silas are content in their circumstances, and they are driven by the gospel to sing about who Jesus is and what he's done. God has broken the chains. And unlike Peter, when the angel said, if you remember from Acts, when we've gone through that, is said, follow me out of the prison. No, they all stay in the prison. They didn't leave. The early church father, Tertullian, commented on this passage. He says, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. This miracle liberates every other prisoner in this jail. And then Paul says to the guard overlooking them, stop, I want to spare your life as well. God's desire in leading Paul and Silas this prison wasn't to deliver them from the prison, but to deliver the jailer from his sin. What must I do to be saved seems like an odd question considering the circumstances. But the jailer probably heard them singing. The jailer probably heard of the living hope and the Savior that saved them from their sins. How do I get in on this salvation that you are worshiping your God of? And Paul gives them the same answer that we've seen over and over again in this book of Acts. Believe. Believe the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Believe the gospel. That's it. And that's not just for the jailer. It's for every single one of us. And the jailer believes. After hearing the gospel, everyone in his household also believes. And everyone in his household is baptized. They are welcomed into the family. And baptism, again, is an immediate response to belief in the gospel. And so, church, if you have not been baptized, yet you believe the gospel, my question for you is why? Follow the example of the early church. But most importantly, follow the command of Jesus to be baptized. Join the church family. And we'd love to talk to you about that. The magistrates, the government, they find out what's taking place. They find out that a large crowd is gathering. That an insurrection potentially could be arising. And they just say, get these guys out of town. Send them away. I don't want any more problems. We're going to see soon uh, in Acts a big riot in Ephesus because of the gospel transformation taking over people's lives. 
But it's essential that this young church has a good reputation with the authorities if it's witnessed was to flourish. And as much as being a Roman city, we see in verse 21, that it was wrong for Paul and Silas to be imprisoned, we see that a Roman citizen also had rights in verse 37. Their rights were violated, but they don't use their violation of rights to say, well, government, you need to pay us back. They don't take it the courts to sue them. They just want an apology. They've already received everything that they need. But they don't are wrong to go without it being made right, but to just simple, I'm sorry. God leads in more ways than I think we give him credit for. He's in charge, church. So let's trust him, church. So going back to those questions, what does God want me to do? God, what are you guiding me into? How are you leading me in the days ahead? I think we struggle with these questions because our focus tends to be on ourselves, myself included. God is at the center of Acts 16, but oftentimes our decisions focus on ourselves. In the 80s, some of you were alive, the self-esteem movement called us to just feel better. In the 90s, the self-made movement made us think highly of ourselves so we could accomplish things. In the 2000s, self-help says you can get yourself out of your circumstances. And in the 2010s, believe in yourself. You can do it. And now it's self-love. Do what makes you happy. Friends, God leads his church. He's in control. The movement of the church in him leading us is not about us. Whatever God uses to lead us is for his glory, according to his sovereign plan. And that might be pleasant circumstances for us, and it might be difficult circumstances for us. We were created to trust Jesus, to worship him, to believe in him, not ourselves. And so if God is leading, how do we answer those questions then? What's God's will? I think the reason we often ask these types of questions, God, what do you want me to do? Is because we start with the premise that we're discontent in our present circumstances. So I think we need to address that first. God has Paul and Silas where? in jail, yet they were content. I don't think I'd be worshiping my first inclination if I was in jail. They knew God's will, and so they worshiped him. They bore witness to who Jesus is and what he had done. I don't think you want me as your pastor wondering, I wonder what God's will is for me if I'm gonna stay at this church or not. I don't want to ever leave this church. I can say that with a, a confidence right now. And I wanna keep saying that. You want me to stay, I wanna stay. But in our world, as things get hard, when we get pushback, or circumstances aren't how we had planned them to be, it's when our discontent starts to show itself as its true colors. 
If God is sovereign, I want to give you four things to consider. First, we trust God's word. Look what he did in the text alone, right? We see man moving over and over again to a place where a jailer and his entire household is led towards salvation. When you're stuck between two good decisions, the Bible doesn't always tell us, well, go take this job or move to this town or marry this person or do this or do that. In Acts 16, if it teaches us anything, we won't mess up God's sovereign plan. If his reason is hidden from us, I know a pastor that says it's none of your business. We have God's revealed will for us here in the scriptures. Let me give you one verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, to become more like Jesus. That's what he wants of you. He wants you to be more holy. And the gift and the or of the death of his son, as we'll celebrate shortly in celebrating the Lord's Supper, his resurrection from the dead makes your sanctification possible. But how does God's word do that? Well, leaders can help. You can hear a sermon where I can say, trust God, be joyful, love others, love God. The Spirit can help us too as he reminds us of the scriptures. It's a passage that I've referenced to pastors who've gotten angry on social media. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. I think we can apply it to all of our lives. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and the one who sows discord among brothers. Where we can see God's will in the scriptures. Don't lie. Don't be proud. Don't murder. Don't devise wickedness. Run away from evil. And on and on and on and on. We could use more scripture, church. We can also help as the church to lead us. Hey, pastor. Have you thought about this before? Hey, brother or sister. Have you considered serving here or there? We can do this together. I want to hear from you. Your leaders desire that we have open communication because God doesn't just speak through me. God doesn't speak through the leaders who will meet after the service downstairs. God speaks through his people. Even your enemies can lead this. Well, you can't build there or you can't play sports with us or you can't say that in this context. Maybe there's another place to do it. You're still supposed to follow God's will and to do what it says. Maybe God directs you to someone else or somewhere else. Maybe he would plant you in a different job or a house to live in or give you a new relationship so that you might bear witness to who Jesus is and what he's done so that maybe that person might respond to the call of salvation like the jailer did in our passage this morning. So first church, let God's word lead you. Second, let God's word drive you to prayer. As we inhale the scripture, we exhale prayer, where we speak back to God according to his word. I see, Father, that you want me to live 
in a certain way. And so we desperately cry out, God, I need your help. Or God, I know that you want me to share the gospel with this person I love or this coworker that drives me nuts. God, would you give me boldness to do that with confidence? The Bible is all we need for life and godliness and we can prayerfully apply it to all the situations and circumstances that we have. And third, we can involve trusted counsel. The church is filled with folks who love you and would love to help you, to bounce ideals off of. If it's a terrible idea, don't be offended. If you ask us for an opinion and we say it's a terrible idea, we're seeking as best we can to love you. God's in control. Leaders, the spirit, the church are all submitted to this. And then in light of everything, make a decision. Consider your circumstances. I could have said four years ago, I'm coming to Cornerstone. But if Cornerstone did not vote for me to come, what would we do? We can't just do anything, right? You go up to the second store, jump out, and like, I can fly. You're going to learn that gravity will win. God gives us a lot of freedom, guided by the scriptures, prayerfully considered, submitted to counsel to make the decisions based on the circumstances before you. And we trust that he is in control, that we can't go against his will, but you've got to make a decision. God leads his church through leaders, so ask for help. God leads his church by the Spirit. Maybe you would ask him for guidance. How frequently we just go make a decision without even asking the Lord what he wants. God leads his church through the church as well. So we submit to one another and God leads his church through challenges. It's not about us, but when we are led by God, he can use us for extraordinary, eternal, and glorious things. He can sovereignly lead us to help a jailer providentially on duty that night that Paul and Silas just so happened to be arrested and thrown into jail so that he was saved. Four years ago, I was inclined by four words, come and help us. Friends, we cannot mess up God's plan, but it's God's plan, not ours. We don't know God's will entirely if it's not revealed to us through the scripture. If you were with us in California as we were walking through this with our church, I would say we feel the Lord is leading us down this path, not God is calling us to go to Vermont. Because God's will does not come back void. It does not ever have error. And if we said God has called us and it didn't end up happening, who made the error? Language matters, and I think it helps us to encourage one another that God does lead, that God is in control, but the fallible part of the equation is you and me. He's in charge, he's capable. He can use the best, and he can use the hardest of circumstances for whatever purpose he wants, ultimately so that we might worship him like Paul and Silas, and Lord willing, others might as well, like the jailer. Knowing he's God and we're not, 
think it helps us to be a content church as he's leading us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this scripture. God, we thank you that you lead and guide us. God, as, um, I think one of our leaders reminded us that you are a good shepherd. That you lead us beside still waters to green pastures. You restore our souls. And even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil. For you are with us. God, would you help us to remember that because we get so distracted with our circumstances thinking that maybe we're, we're the source of, of good things that you're to blame for bad things. God, we ask that you would help us to remember that you are sovereign and that you are good. And when you called your church to go make disciples of all nations, you said you will never leave us and you are with us always, even unto the end of the age. God, would you remind us of that? Would you help us to live in light of that? Would we trust you because of that? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.